Good to be with you now, and good to be with you online, and uh, so glad to be back. Uh, grateful for Pastor Chris, for Pastor Eric filling in for me the last couple Sundays, and uh, we're continuing our study in James. I want us to begin uh, kind of going back a bit uh, for most of us in our lives, and actually back to the days uh, to like the child you see on the screen. Um, for some of us, that's a long time ago. Um, but you can think back to those days. Uh, just imagine that you've been experiencing some bullying in the neighborhood. Uh, if you ever experienced that uh, with, by other kids, and I'm kind of today, I'm not really referencing that low-level pestering, that low-level just kind of neighborhood thing that goes on. I'm talking about kind of bullying to a level to where for at least you as a little kid, it was quite devastating. It's quite... Uh, hugely impacting on you. And, and I'll kind of say this, that uh, your father's aware of it. He, he's fully aware of what's going on. He has his eye on it. Um, he has counseled you in it, even as a little child, about how to handle some of the situations with it. There's been a time or two where he's stepped in and he's removed you out of that situation for your own protection, for your own good. And yet, I'll kind of say it this way, and yet in his parenting wisdom, he also doesn't save you from every hard thing that takes place. Um, that's part of what parenting is about. And sometimes that's one of the hardest things in parenting is sometimes you just know that your kids, they just need to experience some stuff and go through some tough times and have some of those because maybe as I'll say, James chapter, two, James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 talks about how it's in trials that steadfastness is brought up in us and out of steadfastness that maturity is affected into our lives. And, and we understand that as parents and, and we love it when we have a parent who steps in, but we also, in the long run, love it when we have a parent who has the wisdom enough to know that sometimes you just need to go through the war of it. But in this particular situation, you've got uh, the war escalates in the neighborhood to a point to where your father steps out into the whole situation and he pulls you close to him, you hug his leg in that great security place that it is and you're grabbing tight there and before he has anything to say to you, he actually has something to say to the neighborhood bullies. All right, they're there, they weren't able to get away and they're there and he is going to address them and speak to them and frankly, you have a very special opportunity to overhear what your father has to say, might I say, from what your father uh, on, uh, uh, up high, on above, has to say to those that are bullying you. And uh, I'll just say, that's what's happening in our text today. Um, and in our text today, there's really, I think, as I've thought about this, two ways we could walk away from the text. One is we could walk away hope-filled and our tongue sticking out. You know, I mean, I was the youngest of three brothers. I was likely the one who did that in our family. You know, Dave and Don were picking on me, and wrongly so, I'm sure. And, uh, and mom steps in, or dad steps in, and you're hugging the leg, and, and it's like, man, it's just great to be in this spot right now. And then the kind of the tongue comes out like, neener, neener, neener. Yeah, that didn't help so much. I don't want for us to leave that way today. Instead, really how I want for us to leave in this is I want for us to leave hope-filled. Arms around our father, and he's got the situation in hand, and yet soul-challenged. 
there's something advantageous for us to hear what our God has to say to these bullies, what our Father has to say to these bullies, and that's what we're stepping into. So if you haven't already, if you'd open your copy of God's Word to James chapter 5, uh, we're going to uh, come alongside and hear James as he uh, writes this. And it's a fascinating thing with what James does here because the letters written to scattered Messianic Jews at the time uh, gathered in local churches around. And yet here in this text, I think he's clearly talking to not God's people, but he's writing in such a way, I think he wants God's people to listen in on what God has to say to those that are bullying them in their situations going on. We'll work that out of the text. I'm gonna read the first six verses of chapter five. I'll pray and then we'll uh, start digging in. Let me read these. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you that will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He, she does not resist you. Let me pray. God, I pray that as we have for those in Christ who have our arms wrapped around your legs, that we would be hope-filled today. And in it, I pray that all of us would be soul-challenged in this today. This is, in this letter, this is probably the pinnacle of the heat that James delivers in his whole letter. And it's heavy. And I just pray you would give us the wisdom to understand it, to ascertain it, to hear it, and to take it in and to learn from it. For in hearing how you view things, it is hope-filling, and it is soul-challenging. So do a work in our lives, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let's begin in verse one, and I'm titling this uh, verse one, The Call Out. Again, that's so James. I've talked through this whole series. James is like first sentence, first kind of uh, clause in it. He states the subject, what's on the table, so let's find what's on the table. Verse one, here's the call out. Come now, you rich. Now, in the original language, the definite article is with rich. And so I think really what is going on here is James is making this address of come now, bold, like listen up. Uh, listen up, you, and I almost nowadays I would do it with air quotes. Listen up, you, the rich. Uh, there's a particular group of rich that he's talking to here. Uh, these are unredeemed rich. Why do I think that's the case? Because in this whole movement of how James writes, this is the only time where James doesn't have this, hey brothers, hey sisters. He also doesn't have in this whole paragraph here, he doesn't have any words that are saying, therefore uh, confess, therefore repent, therefore come to the Lord. There's none of that kind of a thing here. I think what is going on is James is addressing a particular subset group of unredeemed rich. 
These are not God's people. These are unredeemed rich who don't know Christ as their Savior, who are the ones who are bullying like crazy God's people in scattered situations in mid-latter 40s A.D., And they are brutal on God's people, abusing them, misusing them. And he's talking to them, even though they probably aren't hearing the letter actually read itself. It's, I think ultimately, it's for God's people to hear what God has to say to them. Okay, arms wrapped around his leg, listening to what he has to say. Uh, Know this, uh, come now you rich. I don't think this is any kind of uh, discussion that James is having here that is anti Um, anti-wealth. This is not an anti-capitalism conversation. This is not even an anti-savings conversation that's going on here. It's not also a pro-asceticism. In other words, like everything is evil, therefore stay away from it. It's not that. It's also not here, I think, a kind of conversation where it's like, hey, if you have wealth, feel guilty. That's not the point here. We need to stay with what the point that is on the table here. Instead, James is addressing here unredeemed, Uh, ungodly people who are greatly misusing and misprioritizing the use of their wealth in this. We have to keep that in mind. Uh, Come now, you rich, weep. It's it's an imperative. It means you must weep. Uh, Be crying. That's interesting. That's quite a call out. And then it says, and howl. English Standard Version, and howl. We don't understand that in our culture. But in Middle Eastern culture, they got that word. We might weep, but we don't howl. And yet in that culture, it's this physical expression. It's this verbal words being declared. It's full out on the table. It's big. It's boisterous. It's a call not to like feel bad. It's a call to cry and wail over what? Look at the text. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Look at this, look at this. For the miseries that are coming upon you. Whoa. I'm telling you, friends, James is not holding anything back here. And there brings a seriousness to the table of what's going on. He's speaking like an Old Testament prophet. And the original readers, Jewish messianic believers in Christ, they would understand that. They would understand the tone of an Old Testament prophet speaking. They would understand a Joel. They would understand a Jeremiah and Isaiah. They would understand it. And James is talking like that. You need to understand in this conversation. He's this Old Testament prophet, and he's stating the miseries that not as they might be coming, but as they will be coming. James is not saying to these ones, he's not saying, you know what, you might have this happen. He's actually saying you will have this happen. And note, it's not one one misery, it's miseries. For miseries that are coming upon you, the ones that he's speaking to, full of wretched misery is coming your way. Heavy stuff. And before James gets specific in telling exactly who these people are, I love this. He actually talks about the inanimate objects of wealth that these people categorize as their wealth. So, He gives a call out, and then he's doing what I'm calling the clarification. Let's take a look at verses two and three. He says, your riches, your garments, your gold, silver, these inanimate objects. 
He says, your riches, they have rotted. Not will rot, but have rotted. Your garments, they are moth-eaten. Not will be moth-eaten, are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Again, not will corrode, but have corroded. Uh, in seminary, they told you n- never to uh, talk to your uh, listeners about Greek forms, but you're smarter than, than normal. And so, let me just tell you this. Here's what it is. He's put together what's called three perfect tense verbs. And perfect tense verb in the Greek has this idea of it's not a present active verb, it's not continuing on and on and on, it's not an aorist verb, it's not where it just happened, it's called a perfect verb. That means it happened at a time, it's already happened, but it has ongoing ramifications. For instance, the death of Christ already happened. The resurrection of Christ already happened. In a perfect form of that, it's understand, it's already taken place, but that has ongoing ramifications coming out of that particular action. And that's what he's using here. Your riches, they've already rotted. Your, your garments, they're already moth-eaten. Your, your gold and silver, they have already corroded. And when you have an understanding of that, that has ramifications out. And he's helping them. He's truly trying to help them understand. You can say, well, how is that the case? So, uh, because, uh, put it this way, he's speaking in eschatological terms. He's speaking in the big picture of redemptive history terms. He's making reference to what is ahead and in relation to what is now. And listen, friends, they have these treasures right now that they are using to buy them out of any kind of judgment, to buy them out of any kind of misery, to buy them into being able to abuse people. They're using their money in this present time, but the fact of the matter is the monies that they have will will have nothing to do with the eternal. They cannot buy themselves out of judgment and they cannot buy themselves into eternity. And that's a word these people needed to hear. Because when your treasure becomes your security, you begin to think that that's the way it is forever and that is a lie and that is untrue. When my father died, Every bit of clothing, every dollar was all left behind. When my oldest brother died, all his clothing, all his money left behind. And he's helping these people uh, to understand as well as informing God's people to know this that are grasped around his leg. Listen, the things that they are treasuring, they're only for a short season. And look at it in the text. Your riches, your garments, your gold and silver, not only are they, have they already rotted, not only have they already been moth-eaten and corroded, but look at this. They will be used as evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Woo! Dog! James is preaching it, man. He's giving this idea, and this, think about this. James clarifies that on earth, The riches that these ones have trusted to save them out of their miserable, potential miserable situations, to put them into what they think is a wonderful life situation. When they stand before the Father, 
when they stand before the King of Kings, when they stand before the Lord of Lords, when they stand before the righteous creator and judge, their money won't be able to buy them squat. In fact, their money will be evidentiary liability against them. The very inanimate objects that they treat as their wealth will be used against them. It will not be an asset. It will be a liability. You see, because it is out of the use of things, it is out of how we people handle money that shows the reality of what is going on in it. Money, wealth, is the fruit on the tree, and it all tracks down to the root of the reality. And for these ones, their wealth will in fact be evidence against them that eschatologically in future reality will end up eating their flesh like fire. Ooh. James, did you have a rough day? Or? No, I actually think he loves them and us enough that they need to hear it and we need to also hear it. Well, let's go on to the call out, the clarification. And then verse three through six here, he brings the confirming evidence. We now have uh, this series of five you have statements. You have, you have. He's speaking to these individuals, these ungodly, unredeemed rich who are abusing God's people and frankly, any, anybody. And he has five you have things here. End of verse three. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You have laid up treasure. You've stockpiled riches on shelves. You've stacked them up. You've hoarded them away. It's never enough for them. It's always a hunger for more so that they can have it for themselves. And James notes that this, is, this term, by the way, again, it's in this eschatological, it's in this future timeline of redemptive history. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Uh, this term was very near and dear uh, to Jewish hearts at that time. Again, these are Jewish messianic believers that have separated out. James is the first book of the New Testament written, the first letter of the New Testament written, and they're scattered and spread around. They're in kind of foreign places uh, as Jews who know Christ, and, and in that, man, the, the Old Testament prophets were near and dear to them. That's the, kind of their history. That's what they grew up with, and, and in Joel 2 and in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter actually references Joel. Uh, out of the Old Testament, and he makes a statement uh, to the crowds, in the last days it shall be that God will pour out my spirit on flesh. And here I understand James to be saying to these rich that they are stockpiling up earthly wealth while living in the last days, a, a term of scripture. In, in the last days, it's, it's, it's already not yet. Man, I'd love to have a longer conversation on that, but we can't. And I actually don't think having that conversation on exactly what that means is the point here. The point in it all is that, listen, you're laying up treasure in the last days of God's timeline of things. How foolish is that? You are laying up the kind of treasure, treasure to these people that in the last days of things, you're missing what's going on. You're stacking wealth and you're missing what's happening. God is doing more than just our comfy, cozy little life. 
God is moving all things forward. And we are in that already but not yet last days. And they're caught up in the temporal and they're blind to the eternal. You have laid up treasure. Secondly, you have kept back by fraud. Boy, this really gets at the meat of what's going on with these individuals. It says, you've kept back by fraud the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields. It's it's pretty self-explanatory. These wealthy landowners, that would mainly be the thing back in that day, these wealthy landowners would hire individuals and oftentimes it would be the exact people that James is writing to. Destitute, likely impoverished people is the audience of the readers of James here that he's writing to, and they've been hired. And then these landowners, and hiring them, they cut a deal, you work this, you do this, I'll pay this. And they did work this, they did work that, and then they didn't pay them that. And he's confronting the situation. You kept back fraud by the wages, laborers who mowed your fields. I wonder how many times in the local churches where James's letter is being read, where the people in the audience hearing it being read are like, that's me. That's my story. I got ripped off. I got taken uh, advantage of. I've been abused. I haven't been paid at all. And notice in the text, that your wages are crying out against you. Isn't that interesting? The very money is crying out. Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey for the triumphal entry, and he says, I can make even the rocks cry out. And here, it's the actual money, the money that hasn't been paid. Even the inanimate money speaks out against them. It is the evidence against them. The money speaks out, but the text also says the workers, the the harvesters, uh, the laborers, they're crying out. And know this, look at the text, and it will reach the ears of the Lord of hosts. Here's the wonderful thing about it, the Lord hears. The Lord hears the cries of the wages and the Lord hears the cries of the abused laborers. Why doesn't he step in and do something now? Because God is not a helicopter parent. Because God has a plan of things where all things are moving to a place and even now in it, remember James chapter one, verses two through four, I believe I already made mention of it, where in that, it's the trials are tests of faith. Uh, Tests of faith producing steadfastness in you that out of the steadfastness, when that's compounded in you, it affects maturity. Parents, it's hard to allow your kids to go through a trial, but some of the best parenting out there is letting them go through the trial. Because if you don't let them go through the trial, they end up being spoiled. Daddy, I want a golden ticket now. Uh Uh-huh. Daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa now. Brat. That's the whole point in the movie. Don't you just want to you know, bring judgment on her. (laughs) But what a great example, and this is kind of uh, what is taking place. They've kept back by fraud, third, kind of with that. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. They've abused, and then they are, they are that little girl. Daddy, I just want a golden ticket. I want an Oompa Loompa. You've laid up treasure in the last days. You've kept back by fraud the wages of laborers. 
You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Fourth, middle of verse five, you have fattened your hearts. Now there's a medical picture. That's the kind of thing like if you're having problems and say you have an MRI of your chest cavity and you then meet with a doctor and he says, see that picture right there? That's your heart. And it is caked with fat. You know that's not good. Right? I mean, very kind of a personal thing that uh, I can relate to with that. I was in my mid-30s, so it was like about five years ago. I was, <laughs> I was in, in my mid, maybe early mid-30s, and uh, uh, my brother and I had a business at the time, and so we were redoing our entire health insurance, if you know, and talking about going through all this process of that. And so in this health insurance we were going with, that included uh, getting a blood draw. So they did a blood draw, and, and then they uh, provided the premium amounts, and it comes back. And my premium is like twice what my brother's, who is two and a half years older than me, my premium was twice his. And I'm like, what is up with that? What happened? So I called the insurance company, and, and they said, well, we can't tell you exactly what's what, but we would highly encourage you to go get a blood draw and talk to your doctor. Okay, uh, so I go to our doctor, and uh, he's just the neatest guy. He's Christian. He's now with the Lord, and um, just a neat guy. And so I go in. I, I have the blood draw. He said, told me, he said, "Hey, Doug, I'd like for you just to wait around and let me talk to you a little bit before we even get the test back on it." And so. Um, we did that. I did the blood draw. About 20 minutes later, I'm in the little room thing, and, and he walks in, and he uh, tells me, hey, buddy, we, got to, we need to have a conversation here. I'm like, what? what's up? And he's like, well, just put it on the table. You have the blood of a smoking, drinking, al- alcoholic, McDonald's-eating, 60-year-old obese man. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, what do you mean by that? You know, and I, I'll tell you, I heard the words of it, and there's part of it where, can I, I'm trying to relate this back. Sometimes you hear the words of things, and you don't process it until you actually see it. And so he told me the words, and I'm like, okay, so I guess I should be concerned? <laughs> He's like, yeah. He said, in fact, let me show you something. And so he pulls out of his pocket. He said, Here, here's a vile blood draw that, uh, of not you, of another person that was drawn uh, about 20 minutes ago, almost the exact same time as your draw here, and you can take a look at it. It hasn't been centrifuged, nothing's been done. They just took it, set it in the, in the holder, and uh, I just pulled it out and showed you. And it's just all red. It looks like, well, blood. And so then he says, now I want to show you yours. And he pulls mine out and holds it up, and it's like at least a third of it, if not a half of it, was pure white from the bottom to the middle. It looked like mayonnaise from the outside. I mean, just whole milk there. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, that's fat. He said, Doug, you have a problem. And I'm like, what's my problem? I don't know. Anyway, so we go through a whole process. Come find out I have type 4 hyperlipidemia. It's just a, a genetic thing where my body doesn't filter out fat in my blood. And so with that, I have things like yesterday, I went running. And it's just ugly, old, and wheezing in that. 
And yet in it, it's, we're controlling it and all that. But it's that idea of James here is helping them to see their blood draw. Sometimes it's just helpful to be pointed and shown. And if you will, he's talking to these individuals and he's telling them of their type 4 hypo-wealthedemia problem that they have here. And he's letting them see with it. And then notice in the text, you have fattened your hearts and and you are coming to a day of slaughter. It's this idea, they would have totally got it as agricultural community in that day and we get it here uh, as well in agriculture. It's the idea of, he's basically saying, you are like the cattle who is out in the field, feasting away like it's just glory, eating it up, eating it up, eating it up, and you don't even know that that very afternoon is on schedule for you as the slaughterhouse. And you are eating away like that's not even happening. And that's what he's saying to these ungodly, abusive, wealthy people. It's kind of like you're having your time eating away, but know this, you are in the last days and slaughter is ahead. Friends, I don't say that with great joy at all. But I have to tell you, it should wake everyone up. We live in serious days. This life is a serious reality. And for these ones, it is a serious heading up ahead for them. And us listening in on this is honestly a gift from God. Number five, verse six, you have condemned and murdered, he says to these ungodly rich. They've poured out their self-indulgence on people that could not or would not resist them. They've used the justice system. They've used the abuse of their power against the righteous person, it says. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. James is talking about the child who is redeemed in Christ. He's making reference to these dear, sweet listeners of his letter. These are the very ones who are followers of Christ who are being misused and abused. And that's why he starts the letter out. Trials are tests of your faith that produce steadfastness of you. And as that steadfastness compounds, maturity in the Lord comes out of that. And the Lord loves that. The Father loves that. And that means that sometimes he is not a helicopter parent. And that means sometimes he allows his children to be bullied and to go through the neighborhood, the broken neighborhood that we live in. That's why sometimes all the hell comes flying our way. And our father in his wisdom understands us. He knows that there's abuse happening. He knows that. And know this, friend, he is going to take care of it. I want to go there, but that's next Sunday. That's where the text goes next Sunday. And here he's bringing out you to these individuals. You've condemned, you've murdered. They may not have, this this may be metaphorical, but I also think it's potentially real because in that day, friends, they didn't have pay that went like, it was like pay each day. And for some of them and for some of their families, they were in a place of poverty to where a loss of a day's or a couple days wages was downhill for them and potentially murderous for them. And potentially even sometimes they would use the system to put them in jail and die there. This is a heavy text, man. 
And James finishes verse 6 with this final clause. The English Standard Version says, he does not resist you. It's, it's a really hard statement in, in the language of translation to understand. Uh, some uh, think that the he there, the, the pronoun there that's being used is referring to God, that, and it's in a, actually in a question form, that uh, does not the Lord resist you? In other words, the Lord, the Lord he, he's going to bring it. He's going to bring it. I don't think that's what it's going on. I think the natural movement of the statement uh, with others are this idea of the he, there is the he, the she, the righteous one, the the child that is redeemed in Christ, the man, the woman that is redeemed in Christ with their arms wrapped around the legs of the father, that one, that one, even though you condemn and you murder them, even though they do not resist, they do not respond with violence. And I'm going to leave it there because I think that is the lead-in for next Sunday. And friends, I'm telling you, this Sunday with next Sunday is a word for our church in the world we're living in right now. I was talking with someone this week and just saying it's amazing to me how laying out the, the sermon series, I had no idea that this particular text and the way that it's working coming right up before the election, next Sunday before the election, I just go, God's hand was on the timing of that. So let's conclude here. Let's go back to the scene at the Father's legs. It's a sweet place to be. It's a sweet place to be there. Listen, know this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there's been a time in your life where you've come to understand you're a sinner separated from God and you are in need of a Savior and you have uh, repented, you've confessed, and you've come and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, know this. You are a child of God. As many as received him, to them he became chil- they became children of God. And in this kind of situation, this illustration I'm trying to bring for us today that as James is talking to these unredeemed ones who are bullying God's people in horrific ways, frankly, in that day. And there, God's children are clamped to us. Like, what a sweet place to be. Here's a couple things to walk away from it, as I said in the beginning. Number one, hope-filled. There is a very hopeful place to be right there. That is a sweet place to be. Living in a broken neighborhood and knowing this. My dad is bigger than yours. My dad is more awesome than your dad. That's really the scene here. The world's dad, (laughs) our dad has got him taken care of. And there's hope in that. Yes, we are frail, we are weak, we are small. We tend to only see what is right in front of us and not beyond it. And yet our father, our dad, has the wisdom to know where everything's headed. He can deal with the bullies. 
and he knows what's going on, and in all of that, he knows what's best for us. Even when we don't know what's best for us. Know this, child of God. Your Father knows what you are going through right now. And He loves you. And this may not be the time that He pulls you out of it. But your dad is bigger. Hope-filled. And secondly, soul-challenged. This life is serious, friends. This is no joke. A day of condemning judgment, a day of slaughter for those without Christ is coming. And I'm just going to say this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I don't say any of that in harshness or glee or joy from that standpoint upon you. I say it to you this way. Oh, come to the Lord. Because what's ahead is miseries and slaughter. I don't want anyone to go through that. But you need to know that. And for those redeemed in Christ, know this, there's a time of assessment before the Lord. This is in the future. This is no joke. And soul challenge this way. Living in a first world country, it's not if we treasure wrong things. Let me ask the question, how much do you treasure the wrong things? I don't want to pull the we're all rich in comparison to the entire world because the truth of the matter is we live right here. But truth of the matter is, is in this, whether we're poor here, rich here, what do you treasure? Temporal? Inanimate stuff that is already rotted in the reality of redemptive history. If making the big bucks is your goal, and your objective to get there. I'll just say, as one straight up with you, having been there, it's not what you think. It doesn't fully satisfy. Arms wrapped around our Father, listening into his stern words to these ungodly abusive bullies who have just been hounding and harassing God's people. The scene picks up next Sunday with our Father. Let me do it this way. He's just addressed them. Boys, it's time to go home now. And they drag their tails home. And then he grabs the children Let's talk. Let's talk about this whole thing right now. And let me give you some words of counsel. That's next Sunday. So Lord, I pray for us as a people. The Lord, you would do a work through your word that you would draw us to you, that you would draw our minds to you even. Lord, the hope that we have in you would be deep and would be rich and 
God, that we might just leave this room today for those who know you as their Savior, just filled with hope. You hear, you're aware, and you are wisely making decisions on what is allowed in our lives and what we endure through and what you will remove us from. And God, you're at work in ways we don't even see. But this is a text that reminds us you are at work in that way. Lord, we leave hope-filled, and Lord, we leave soul-challenged. God, how is it, how often is it, day in, day out, week in, week out, that the, the temporal treasures of this world end up becoming the things that we strive for far too much, that take too much of our attention. They are important. They are evidence against the reality of our lives as well. And I just pray that as your children, that we would deal wisely with what you have blessed us with. Thank you for your legs. That we can, we can just grab a hold and be secured in you and all the noise and all the anger and all the bullying and all the pushing and shoving. Yeah, with you, that's the place we want to be. In Christ's name we pray.